Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Human Connection Project podcast. We are all about empowering connection to develop psychological resilience and emotional well-being in our community, because now, more than ever, we need human connection. I hope you enjoy this episode, and as always, make sure you share it to someone who you feel this can make a positive impact on. Alrighty guys, welcome back to another episode of the Human Connection Project podcast. I'm super pumped to have a good friend of mine on the podcast today, Khan Porter. A lot of people will know Khan for a lot of different things, but I know him as an absolute stellar bloke with a world of knowledge to add to our community today. So Khan, tell, uh, tell the people a little bit about who you are. Oh, what a wrap, mate. Thank you very much. Um, so yeah, my name is Khan. I'm a uh, 30-year-old. I live, geez, that's scary to say out loud, isn't it? No, I don't think I've been on a podcast since I turned 30. Um, yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm from Sydney. I uh, met Maddie a few years ago through CrossFit, which is what I do full-time. So I compete professionally. Um, I've got a pretty diverse background and do a bunch of other things alongside that. So I'm currently studying, well, at the moment, I'm taking this trial. I ended up taking this trimester off to thinking that it was going to be a big lead into the CrossFit Games, but I'm currently working towards a degree in psychology and a diploma in counseling at the same time. So, the two of those things. Um, yeah, I've done a fair bit of work with a bunch of mental health charities, sort of super passionate about that um, and have been for many years, uh, sort of pretty open about my own journey through mental health and connection. I think that's something that we really connected over, Maddie and I, back uh, when we first met. But yeah, um, yeah, that's me in a nutshell, man. Just I love, uh, love to travel normally, but not much yeah. of that going on at the moment. No, we're pretty locked down at the moment. But yeah, I definitely agree, man. When we first met, uh, we kind of just struck it off on the connection element. You know, we're both probably pretty open about we've had our own battles with mental health and, and we've had stuff going on in our lives that is, I guess, throwing us curveballs that we've had to deal with. What's mm. um? So what's your take on... You know, we talk obviously a lot about the statistics arising on mental health at the moment. Do you think the statistics are rising, the data is getting reported more, or do you feel like there is a real shift in, you know, the way the environment is at the moment is causing a lot of depression in people's lives? I think it's kind of a double-edged sword. I think, and again, this is just, I mean, a little bit of speculation and a little bit based on like research and stuff. I'm not saying that this is the definitive answer to that, but yeah. Um, just preface that with everything that I say. It's just yeah. my opinion on it all. Some people can get their bees in a bonnet about that sort of stuff. Yeah. I think that the rate is incre- – I think I don't know if the rate's necessarily increasing. I just think it's more visible now because I think people are starting to thankfully understand that um, – you know, mental health is something that you can, you know, go and talk to doctors about, you know, someone gets the, gets the flu, they're going to go to the doctor, get a flu shot, or they're going to go and get some medication and stuff like that. And I think that we're starting to take that same approach with mental health, which is a fantastic thing as well. Um, I also think there's, I can't remember exactly what book I read it in, but there's some really interesting sort of informa- uh, theories around the fact that because life is getting so much easier and so much, like so many things are so much more accessible, people are becoming more stressed out thinking that therefore they should be kind of doing better than they are, if that makes sense. Like yeah. there is so much information and we have access to so many, you know, uh, looking at so many other people's lives and how amazing they are. There's this kind of like, is it setting the bar sort of higher for what we think we should be doing to be living this good life? And if that's the case, is that causing us more depression and anxiety? Or, 
you know, that sort of low to moderate level depression and anxiety. I don't think that you kind of uh, like, I guess, let's call them higher level uh, mental health issues are necessarily increasing at the same rate as depression, anxiety. That's yeah. not to say that those two things aren't debilitating. Trust me, I know just how fucking debilitating both of those things <laughs> are. Um, but I think that, yeah, I think there's a lot of contributing factors and I think that some is just the visibility, the fact that people are more open to talking about it. And I think as well, there is also that kind of idea that, um, yeah, I think people, particularly in these kind of Western societies, there is a lot of pressure. Uh, some of it's kind of overt as well. It's not like direct pressure from other people, but some of it's just the pressure that we put on ourselves because we don't mm. face that same kind of, you know, you know, well, I guess at the moment we're going through something pretty ridiculous, but, you know, we don't have a war to fight. We don't have people potentially invading our country to kind of channel our uh, emotional efforts into. So we're kind of creating these these ridiculous standards for ourselves to have to uphold where if we're not kind of at the top of the game in something or doing something ridiculously impressive that we can broadcast to the world, we start to get a little stressed or anxious. Um, But yeah, man, I don't know. I think that there is, I think it's a very complicated issue and those are just a couple of ideas, but. Yeah, I think we're definitely, so what we're trying to build at the moment with the Human Connection Project is, I guess, I had the discussion with a sports psych yesterday, we're trying to build the biggest proactive mental health human connection organization because I feel like as a nation, uh, you know, we're probably, I would consider us up the top in terms of breaking down stigmas with mental health. Like you just said, mm. we can have conversations, like you and I can have conversations, you know, the day we met each other around mental health and I can walk mm. down the street now and just have a conversation with people around depression, anxiety, and it's there's, that barrier is is still there. Don't get me wrong. Mm. We still have stigmas, but it's not as, not as bad as what it was. But what we really struggle with now is being proactive in the sense, so the kind of... Yep. The analogy I always use for people is our firefighters, for instance, they're proactive with their burn-offs and they're proactive with yep. learning certain aspects of communities so they can get in there quickly. Yes. If, we, if we were that proactive with our mental health as a nation and as a globe, perhaps we wouldn't see, you know, we want people to feel supported, nurtured, educated before they get to that position where you and I have both yep. been, we're like, oh, this is just... And I think that a big part of that is re-educating people on what mental health is. And it's something that I'm certainly very passionate about um, and try to do a lot through my social channels and through I've just created a thing myself, Sweat Therapy, which is more aimed at sort of integrating fitness and mental health. Particularly, I think mental health issues are are rife within the fitness community. And particularly at the moment, that industry is going through some monumental change. Um, that's kind of what like one of the areas of focus I want to do though is re-educate people on what mental health is. I think people mistake mental health for mental illness. They think mental health, like looking after your mental health is what you do if you have depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, OCD, something along those lines. But I think mental health encompasses everything from just like your emotional regulation, Mm. your ability to deal with stress and adversity, your resilience, your... Um, ability to communicate with people effectively, you know, like to not get worked up or to not be like super shy, like to be able to kind of function mentally in day-to-day life um, at a normal to higher level or like at a, at a good level. Like I think that's your mental health. And a similar analogy I use with the guys is, you know, if you if you meet a fit person, right, or someone that loves going to the gym and they're already fit, you wouldn't just tell them to stop working out. Oh, okay, you're fit now. You don't have to work out yeah. anymore. Like you're done. Like that's yeah. like you, you've got whatever it is, you you're fit now, don't like stop, don't do Tick. it again. Um, 
Whereas I think that other people, like I think people don't take that same approach with mental health. I think people take a very different approach. They're like, oh, I'll wait till I am like really depressed or anxious or whatever it is and then I'll go and see a shrink because mm. that's the only time that you go and or like not even see a shrink but do something actively for it. Like, oh, yeah, mm. I don't need to do that because I don't have a mental illness. Well, actually, you know, yeah, you, you want to bring it up there. And it's like you said with the sports, like, you know, the emerging field of positive psychology, that's what they're all invested in doing. Yeah. It's, what I'm super interested in is that kind of idea of rather than just bringing us from a deficit to base, going from base to flourishing. And I think that, that shift as well is slowly permeating out into broader society and I hopefully think that people will start to treat mental health the same they do as their physical health. Like if you go to the gym, you, you sign up to a new gym, you tell your friends. Uh, you start a new workout program or yeah. a new diet plan, you tell your friends. Like, oh, you, you, you know, go and do one of your walks or something like that, you go and tell your friends or you jump mm. on, you know, like you go to a you know, monthly, bi-weekly, bi-monthly, like meetup group, whatever it is to talk about, get like, you know, stress, whatever it is, like, cool, you go and you just do that. Like that's just normal when you tell people yeah. about it. That would be ideally the, the best way I think to tackle the growing. Yeah, it's normalize, normalizing our mental health because I'm the same as you and I think I even might have stolen it off you many years ago. We talked about mental health being you know, something everyone has to, everyone deals with their mental health. So something that really frustrates me is this stat that we see going around. It's one in four people will deal with their mental health during a lifetime. It's like, well, no, four in four because no matter whether yeah. you're, you know, there's the yellow smiley face kind of analogy of happy all the time. Yeah, you still have to deal with your mental health. Like, yeah. like you said, if you've got a six pack, you don't stop training. Yeah, we're always been constantly working on it. And something we've developed is, um, so human connection obviously is such a massive element. And I had the for- I was fortunate to speak to Declan Edwards yesterday. He's a positive psychologist, and in the um, he talks heavily into flourishing. Uh, and human connection is such a big element of that because being connected yeah. to one person and to your community, et cetera, is going to put us in such a, a great position. And, and the, the three pillars that we work on that I'd love to get your opinions on is we have empathy, leadership, and empowerment. And they're kind of everything we do is based on those three elements now. And I'd yeah. love to get kind of your thoughts and descriptions on the three. I love that. Empathy it was empathy, leadership, and empowerment. Yeah, ELA. Yeah. ELE, I like that. I think, um, yeah, I think that like empathy is, or in my opinion, empathy is the number one thing we as a society need to get better at. I think particularly given the way that we communicate nowadays is so heavily online. I mean, look at it now. Mm. It's so heavily online and I think that that removes, for a lot of people, that removes the human element of how am I, ta- am I, ta- I am talking to a person here. Yeah. So people, uh, and because obviously like our online lives are so heavily curated and we know that as a society, it's drummed into us now that I think that we, yes, I think maybe the younger generation might be growing up and idealizing what they see on the internet. And I think that that's an issue, but then I think you've got this kind of older middle, you know, I guess from your sort of 25, 26 plus that are aware that this is these idealized lives and rather than them being like oh my god you know i just wish i was that person they're actually on the flip side just looking for oh like fuck that person because this person shit like there are people that just wait for people to do to say something that can be interpreted as offensive or bad or wrong uh, to, to vilify those people online and like they get off on that and it's because rather than us 
living in like building practicing empathy like we are genuinely like other words some people are genuinely just out to look for why other people are doing the wrong thing by them this kind of you know the world versus me or like that and i think it's so rife in online society i think that empathy really is i mean it's something that like i post about a lot because you know i see both sides of it i try to do i try to keep a very like positive and uh like uplifting sort of like presence on social media and without fail anytime i post about anything kind of I'm not even polarizing. I'm going to say like serious or deep. You will get the one or two people that will look like, and like, it's like, I am so selective with the words I use, but you wait, like I just wait for it. And you'll just, why there'll be some person that will find some way to misinterpret it as being offensive or uh, marginalizing someone, usually themselves. And it's just like, it's mind blowing. Like that's the way that we are. We live nowadays is we're looking for ways to be, like looking for what other people are doing wrong, which I guess is, it's normal. Like human beings, we're primed to seek the negative, we've got that negative bias because it used to serve a purpose to keep us alive. Yeah. You know, we had to be able to recognize a threat quicker than we recognize something like positive. But nowadays that's kind of spilling over into the way that we interact with each other in these kind of highly fake worlds online. And we're just like at each other's throats so quickly. I mean, God, I, I've taken multiple days off going on social media this week or like Instagram and stuff this week just because I'm so sick of looking in like the comment sections on other posts about mm. everything that's going on with coronavirus and the virus, obviously everything that's going on, we weren't going to talk about that, but you know, it's prevalent at the moment. Yeah, and definitely. It reiterates this point. It's not even like it's the amount of varying opinions and the way people are speaking to each other that disagree with those opinions is mm. blowing my mind. Like we are, like obviously like for 99.9% of us don't know fucking anything about what's going on. Yeah. Like we are nowhere near smart enough to have opinions on this yet. Everyone does. Yeah. And if anyone has a differing opinion to someone else, my God, you should yeah. see the way You're wrong. people are speaking <laughs> to each other. And it's like now more than ever, we need to practice empathy and we need to learn how to sort of identify our own biases and the way that our thinking is kind of short, like the shortcomings to our thinking and then know how to kind of like build back into, you know, start being better and all that sort of stuff, like towards each other and taking on people's perspectives. Or if someone has a differing opinion to just being able to kind of accept that people are different and people are allowed a differing opinion and then letting it go. Yeah, I mean, I we so, used yeah. to say, we, people used to say, like, agree to disagree, and now that's the start of another argument. Oh, <laughs> like absolutely. Just this continuing role and empathy. You know, a really good example in today's society, again, when we weren't going to go into it, but is the toilet paper situation. Like, everyone's buying mm. toilet paper, and everyone's abusing people for it, and, and to a degree, rightfully so. But then we can't, we're not showing them any empathy because the people that are buying it have, are so scared. Like, everyone's yeah. so vulnerable and exposed right yep. now that. They might have kids at home and they're like, okay, well, I just, I need to get this. It doesn't make sense right now, but my rational thinking is gone because I am terrified. Yep. And then rather than showing empathy and trying to figure out a solution and potentially educating people that that's not needed, we're just bombarding mm. them with abuse. Yeah. And then it's like, as soon as you feel, you know, as soon as you feel anything that all of a sudden is deemed to be the wrong way to feel, it's so widely spread the kind of vilification that these poor people that are probably already feeling like you said extremely vulnerable and like scared they're just gonna get hammered even more so yeah 
terrified. And I mean, I it's, guess- it's a crazy, it's a crazy time. I mean, that's, I suppose that's only one thing. I don't want to just harp on about it, but I just am such a big believer in empathy. And mm. I just, you know, I think I took like one of those 200 question, um, it was like to find your strengths and weaknesses thing the other yeah. day. And I think yeah. like, that was like literally my number one. Yeah. I'm so passionate about yeah. it. And I try so hard to be, um, to be up to, to, I guess, look at anything from every different perspective. And maybe that's just because I've done so much like study in that field where that I understand how vastly different people are. And mm-hmm. I think it gives you, if you like, people think that empathy is about giving up your own perspective, but it's not. What it does is it allows you, I think, it, if you are able to empathize really well with people, it is extremely empowering because what it does is it allows you to kind of pull yourself out of potentially really negative situations without doing too much mental and emotional damage to, to understand that people are different. So if someone's hammering you and someone, you know, is being an asshole to you Mm. in your opinion, empathy allows you to kind of step back from that situation and just accept that whatever they're angry and upset about, like, let's say, I mean, if you've been an asshole, you've been an asshole, you've got to have the (laughs) self-awareness to know that as well. But if you're like adamant that you are right and this person's wrong and it's causing you heaps and heaps of, you know, you're getting really upset about it. Mm. You know, the beautiful thing about empathy is you can kind of pause for a moment, remove yourself from that situation and go, okay, do you know what? Like, fuck, their opinion is just like their opinion versus my opinion. Like I'm going to stop arguing about this and move on with my life. I'm not going to take what they just said too personally because I know that that's just they're not seeing things from my perspective. I can see things from their perspective. I can mm-hmm. move myself from that argument. But yeah, anyway, sorry, empathy, big fan. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I, um, that's, I think we're very similar in that. That's probably my biggest linchpin in everything we do in life. And something I always like to talk about is the positive empathy as well. So I talked to this yesterday with uh, Declan around it as well. So when showing empathy is, yes, we can feel, uh, so say, for instance, you're going through a terrible time, I can show empathy and understand that. So we've got the cognitive, emotional, physical uh, empathy elements. But then also if you're you're going saying really great, for instance, you know, winning regionals, going to the games, uh, opening up a new gym, opening sweat Mm. therapy, which we have to get into by the end of this, but like all Mm. these amazing things, my way of showing empathy there is I can feel negative emotions, but I can also be empathetic and feel that you know that elation and excitement and like fuck how good is this like i'm so Mm. pumped about this sweat therapy thing that i'm feeling empathetic towards you in a positive way when a lot of people think of empathy as only being able to think about the negatives and negative Mm. probably isn't the right word but feeling their negative emotions and dealing with that when there's a whole nother side of the coin that a lot of people are missing out on 100 percent and I think you're right, like that positive empathy is, that's almost probably what like is so, I think social media has had such a negative impact on that as well because mm-hmm. we've started to, you know, like I said, people that are, you know, people want to showcase the positive moments in their life but then there are some people that don't like that. They don't like seeing other people doing well and they're the ones that are waiting there for them to do the wrong thing. Yeah. Um, but they're not, they're, they're not understanding that if they, can under, if they can practice empathy, it's not just about being like, oh, you know, I understand that this person's done something wrong. It's like, oh, actually, I can feel pumped about this person doing something great. And yeah, yeah that, it, it's such a powerful thing. Well, we're seeing if people pivot their businesses at the moment, instead of being excited that someone's pivoted and been successful in their pivot, they're like, nah, wrong thing. Yeah. They shouldn't have done that. But oh, anyway, mate, it's rife within the, on that forever. We, 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 yeah, I was going to say, let's move on. <laughs> Leadership. Leadership. 
Talk to me. What does that look like to you? Leadership to me. What does that look me, like to you guys? And how does that differ from empowerment? Is my so question. leadership for us, I love it. Leadership for us is no titles. Leadership's just the ability to look to the left, look to the right, realize who's struggling, how can we all push through together. So I've, I've seen, you know, in some of our school programs, year nine, Ipswich girls, grandma, individual girls in that classrooms that show more leadership than some of the CEOs at corporate events we've run. Mm. Uh, and, and it's only because they have the ability to practice on either side of leadership, empathy and empowerment to look mm. to the left, look to the right, see who's struggling, see how they can take everyone with them. So you could be a leader of you know, your family or your, your gym or a nation, for instance, at the moment. And like, it doesn't matter how many people you're leading, but the first person you need to lead is yourself. So you know, if you can't trust your own leadership, then how, do, how are others going to trust your leadership? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, I love that. That's really good. I think you, you've nailed it there, that, that ability to kind of help other people, which I guess would be empowerment as well to an extent, like looking to bring people up, like, you know, boost people up rather than bring them down. And I think that's yeah. uh, probably ties into what we were talking about before. I think that's something that societally, Australia particularly, really struggles with. Massive. Uh, we are such a tall poppy, yeah. do okay, but don't, you know, don't do too good because yeah <laughs> and if you do do too good you kind of tried too hard to do too good you know what i yeah. mean like if you try too hard to do too good then you know you're a dickhead it's but like you know yeah. we use weird. the sport use the sport that we both know best crossfit if you are the best of the best everyone's like nah you're on you're on performance enhancing drugs yeah yeah, yeah. you couldn't oh, have possibly you yeah. couldn't have possibly worked that hard to get yeah. there yeah it's crazy like that that's it it's like and then it's like oh, okay you know there's like this echelon where it's like there's this very small space where you can be that good and then in that space you can sit there and you can point and accuse the guys that are higher up than you of being on gear because they're too good yeah. and then you've got the guys just below that that they're trying too hard and they're not good enough and then, oh, mate, like it's, yeah. it's crazy. Like, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, oh, I mean, I could, there's a whole other topic of conversation. I could start fucking getting defensive about the sport, <laughs> but I'm not going to because that's not the topic here and because yeah. I empathise with those people that feel that way. <laughs> like it must be frustrating to work that hard and yeah. get something that you really care about. But, yeah, I guess that in of itself is that whole idea of, you know, empowerment, like rather mm. than looking at people down how can you look to support someone when they're doing well or pull them up when they're not i really like that man is that kind of the same way that you guys do it that's exactly how i look at it yeah absolutely so one thing uh i'm going to stick on the sport again one element of leadership and empowerment which me and my partner are obsessed with is the relationship between tia and shane Hmm. and how leadership between the two of them is so great like we obviously have just come off the back of watching the latest fittest which is why it's so relevant right now and how the the empowerment from both of them is just sensational and then you see Tia and Matt both winning when they've been training together uh, the entire Mm. time and there's that I think the pillars right that we work off empathy leadership and empowerment can be put into any situation, whether you're a frontline police officer. If you can practice those three pillars, you're going to be the best at the best at your job. If you're a teacher and you're practicing empathy, leadership and empowerment with your pupils, you're probably going to be A, liked by your students a, a ton more and B, your students are probably going to get better marks because um, mm. to empower someone. So how we look at empowerment is exactly what you've just said. But, you know, when someone and, you, mate, we've both been there, when you are in those darkest days, you don't want someone to come in and go, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And then we're yeah, going to yeah, yeah. like, no, Problem I don't want. Problem solving is the yeah. last thing you want. 
I want Khan to sit next to me and empower me to figure out my solutions myself. Mm. You, know, you put the bumper rails up for me with, you know, the worlds of knowledge that we've got and stuff like that, but just yeah. don't write down a plan for me. Yeah, I think that's such a. I think that's such an important message to get across as well. It's funny, like I'm doing a live stream later um, for this this uh, CrossFit thing that's going on with some of the other Aussie guys. Um, they're doing this big fundraiser, and one of the things I'm talking about it is mental health, and I'm going to talk about um, effective communication when someone's going through a tough time because I think that you know, obviously I've worked with Are You Okay for four years now. I've been one of their mm. ambassadors, and I've done a lot of work with them and a bunch of other charities as well. Um, and uh, actually it was, yeah, like that whole idea of um, when someone says that they're not okay, like we are so primed to try and fix. Like yeah. We're problem solvers and particularly guys. Like I know if I'm really anxious or something like that, my, I, the thing that I struggle with more than anything is anxiety. And if I'm really anxious about something, a lot of the time I know in my heart of hearts it's sort of illogical, like it's sort of irrational, but... Mm. And, you know, I might be, you know, just anxious and I might be going through like having like an anxiety attack or whatever it is or like a really bad kind of period. But I always know that like I'll come out the other side at some point. Like all of a sudden like everything, it's like my, I'll feel my heart rate will drop. It's almost like it's like weird little rush through my body and I know yeah. that that's me physically coming out the other side of whatever it is that I'm super worked up about and then I can start to see clearly. The absolute worst thing and I hate it and so many people like I've got mates that are the most beautiful human beings for even wanting to be there and help mm. but it's like all they want to do is fix. So you're like, oh, what's wrong? It's like, all right, cool. Let's write, write down a list of all the things and you're like, just like stop trying to fix. Yeah. Just if I'm, if I'm in that space, just let me be in that space and so that ability to kind of hold space for someone without trying to solve their problems and I guess empower them to solve their own problems, that's so huge. And it's such a shift that needs to happen amongst particularly blokes when we are starting to try and look at how we deal with people with mental health issues because, you know, it only comes, like problem solving only comes from caring about someone and wanting to help that person. But it's sometimes it is so far from the best way yeah. to manage when someone is going through a rough time. And I think that, yeah, I love that about the idea of empowering them rather than like fixing the problem for them. Yeah. It can be so hard to sit on the sidelines, <laughs> but sometimes in that, oh, you feel like, like we've both been there, like pretty much everyone who's got air in their lungs right now has been through a moment in their life where they just want to fix the pain for somebody else and mm. parents is such a good example I use quite often because we obviously work in schools a bunch when a kid's feeling you know being bullied like I was bullied at school tremendously like when a kid's feeling down and you know down and out and just upset about everything a lot of parents will try to change them cheer them up change their feelings mm. when, when what we talk about is like your emotions are your truth in that moment uh, and without being you know we're definitely not the spiritual kinds but what you're feeling right now is that is your There's truth. Like, we're not yeah. going to change that. Yeah. So let's yeah. figure out how we can work through them. And like you said, you'll feel that rush come over you eventually. Like, all right, cool. Mm. Like, yeah. Actually, hang on a second. I'm okay now. Now mm. we can start to look at problem solving, I think, yeah. when you're out of that moment. No, it's so good, man. I love that. Yeah, perfect. Hey, man, we're getting close to the end, but I want to hear a little bit about sweat therapy because now more than ever, I think people need it in their lives. Oh, got ya. Got oh yeah, gotcha. Yeah, sorry, you just spoke up a little bit. There. I was uh, I was saying now more than ever, people need sweat therapy in their life, and I'd love to hear a little bit, a little bit more about because we obviously spoke about this in Sydney a few months back before. Yeah, it was launched, uh, and yeah. I've been ex I've been excited to see it come to life, so it's finally here. 
Mate, it is. It's been a, a bit of a long journey. So I've had like obviously I've been competing in CrossFit now for, geez, like eight years, I guess I'd say, at a, at a high level. And so like over that time I've had sort of online programs of various descriptions just as like, I mean, CrossFit, wonderful sport, doesn't – CrossFit itself doesn't pay the bills. Sponsorship pays the bills um, mm-hmm. if you're extremely lucky like I am to have good sponsors. But uh, like over the years I've had various online programs and – I really love programming. I've been doing it for a long time. And one of the big things that inspired sweat therapy was for me training. Like my journey as an athlete was very, like I was a bit of a roller coaster in some respects. You know, I was this anxious, insecure kid that found this sport that I was really good at really, really quickly. Like I just, for whatever reason, CrossFit suited me to a T. Like I made, was top 10 in the region within my first sort of eight months of doing it. The following year I made the games and then made it three years in a row after that. Now making the games for the first time for me, the reason I've always worked out more than before I even knew what CrossFit was, I used to still train twice a day, every day, and I would just smash myself with like hardcore conditioning type things because I just... I love the feeling. For someone that has as much noise in their head as I do, I always found a sense of purpose and clarity and calm when I was working out at like really high intensities. And so training for me was therapeutic before it was a means to an end. And then what sort of happened, this shift occurred after I qualified for the Games for the first time where training was no longer... Uh, I was no longer training for the joy of it. I hated training. In fact, I used to, I used to loathe going to the gym and I went through like, you know, it was a real effort and I like I hated it. It got to the way I not it didn't just happen quickly, but over a period of time I went from training being the best part of my day to being, you know, like I hated it with a passion and it made me feel so much worse training than I was outside of it. Fast forward to 2017 for the first time in four years, I didn't qualify for the games again. And I think like during that kind of four years, I kept saying to myself, I was going to retire. I kept saying, I'm not just to myself, I post like I've done after this year because I just hated what competing did to me mentally. And then in 2017, like when I didn't qualify for the games, that was, I guess, kind of, for me, that was like the ultimate failure of myself as a human. I'd attached my identity so heavily to being an athlete that training became so stressful because, you know, every time I was training, a bad session was like, oh, my God, you're going to lose this thing that you've created an identity around. And then in 2017, when I didn't qualify for the Games, I was like, all right, cool. Like, this is the absolute, like, you've catastrophized this idea in your head so hard and it's happened. What does that mean now? And it forced me to kind of look at, like, all right, well, okay, how... How can I find value and meaning outside of being an athlete and starting to do sort of bits and pieces? Like that year, start of that year, it actually was the year that I started. I went back to school to study psych. So I was already already had something that I was able to kind of go, oh, well, this is something you're passionate about. Let's, you know, dive more into your, like, your interest in mental health. And just off the back of that, like no longer I thought, you know, I'm done. I'm not going to compete ever again because I made that decision at the start of the year. And then I started to just kind of stop. Um, I wasn't really training much. I was just doing bits and pieces here and there. And then the gym, like my gym, well, I'm part owner of the gym and it had grown to a point where it was like we had a lot of guys coming and girls coming through that were kind of interested in competing. They were all looking to do more than just the class. So they'd all get in at four o'clock and I'd see them all training together, just doing something beforehand. And then I jumped in and I started training with them. 
And um, we did this, we called ourselves the Amom Club because we used to do like a 20 to 40 minute Amom. And it was yeah. just, it was so fun. And there was something about that style of training that I'd always enjoyed because there was no fixed outcome. It was like, mm-hmm. hey, do this in a minute, then do that in a minute. And so I started to dive into like, I started to just train for fun again. And it was the best I'd trained in a long time. And it was also the biggest improvement I'd seen in my performance, probably in like three, four years. Yeah. Like not following a program, not having a coach, not doing anything super structured. And that was not to say that the coaches and stuff and the programs I'd followed were bad. It was just that my headspace probably wasn't the most conducive to success as an athlete. Mm-hmm. So I started to think like there's got to be something to this. And that's when I really started to dive into things like positive psychology. I also started to really look into like um, things around like focus and like concentration and like engagement, flow, stuff like that. Yeah. And um apply a lot of these principles to the style of training that I was doing. So I did all my own programming um, from that point onwards and really kind of, yeah, using all these things that I was learning about like the mind and how to get the most out of that. I started to like, I developed a certain style of like my own programming and it was working wonders for me and the people that I was training with. And I guess that um, then obviously like 2018, I re-qualified for the games. I had my best finish ever at the games. Um, and I felt like I was in like, there yeah. was like, I felt like I was not only a different athlete, but a different human being. And it was because I'd prioritized like, you know, I, I have this little draw diagram that I can't draw for you now, but it was like, <laughs> I think we're taught that like hard work will equal success, which will make you happy. But I think that when I flip and I was thinking that, but success success wasn't making me happy. It was just making me more upset. Yeah. What I flipped around was I put happiness first. When you're happy, then you'll train hard and yeah. that's success in of itself. Like, like success goes out of the, the equation. Like if you start with happiness rather than having that as the end goal, it's so powerful. And I was like, there's, there's just certain elements, like certain ways to train and certain things that I enjoy about training and people just love it. Like so... Yeah, 2019, start of last year, I, cre- I started my online program again. It was mostly just based around performance. Oh, at first it was just like email, it was called the EMOM Club. It was just EMOM. So I had a lot of people then asking, can we do a full program? So I did a full program and I was promoting it. Um, it had a different name, but I really wanted a way like, you know, I've, I've never wanted to be like just a, like a CrossFit coach. I really want to, obviously, that's why I'm studying psych and counseling. I want to work in the mental health world. And I thought like there's, like for me, there's so many good training programs out there. There's so many great, you know, uh, programs for athletes. Mm. I wanted to create something that existed for people that just wanted to work out to make themselves feel good. Yeah. To, to get away from that constant, uh, I'm striving to be the best or I, I need to make it to X, Y, Z. And to give people an opportunity to, go into the gym, warm up, hit a 20 to 40 minute workout, just feel, feel good afterwards. And so a big part of it is like, like the program, the workouts is, and is like, okay, this is how you're going to do it. I want you to slow this part down. You're just going to get like, how to, how to get people super immersed in it and super mm-hmm. focused on what they're doing rather than thinking about, oh, this is a means to an end. Yeah. Uh, and then on top of that, we have like a really awesome community that's growing massively, really, really fast on Facebook um, where like I share kind of mental health and mindset uh, sort of coaching stuff. And then, yeah, like, so there's a full performance-based program too for people that do want to be athletes, but it still uses those same principles of like, I'm taking what I know you need to do to get better as an athlete, which I know from, like I said, I've been doing this for a long time at a really yeah. high level. Yeah. And then applying those same kind of uh, like engaging 
engagement, um, like focus, positive psychology, flow mm. sort of stuff to those pieces to make the entire training process as enjoyable as possible because I believe that it, I truly believe that the more you're enjoying your training, the better you will get. And as far as I know, like there are some brilliant programs out there. And like, to be frank, like I, like I've done some incredible programs, but there's very few that I've done that I'm like, you know what? Like I know that that is the best way to get better. If you are like that, like if that's what you wanted to. That's your single focus. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of combining, I guess, like, my it, well, it's a culmination of my own sort of like learning and my own journey and my thoughts on being as an athlete with kind of like the mindset and mental health stuff into like honestly like just something that people can do and we, we have a free i have a free program on there sort of over 200 people like i launched it she's like three days ago and we've got yeah. 200 people on the free program now which is awesome like i just you know my thing for this is a passion project for me um if one day i make you know, a little bit of cash off it, awesome. But yep. if on the way I change, you know, help five, six hundred people, you know, empower five, six hundred people to to use fitness as a means to feel better, then fuck, that's to me so much more valuable. That um, is and success. Yeah, exactly right, mate. So that's why, like, you know, you set up the free program, set up the free, like the Facebook group's open to anyone. People have sort of said, oh, do you have to be a member? But no, nah, like I just, I just want people to come together that mm. love working out because it makes them feel good. Yeah. And to share how fitness does, like how, like, you know, how movement is therapy, like how that is a form of therapy. In fact, the study, like there's insane studies on there that show like you take someone that's not exercising regularly and they exercise regularly, they have the same reduction in symptoms of depression and anxiety as giving them medication and therapy. Like it's mind-blowing some of the studies out there and I'm sure you can't, don't have to look very far to find those articles and to yeah. see that those studies, like, they're, they're, they're reputable studies. You only well. have to look in your own gym really. Yeah. You can oh, see mate. it firsthand. I know in our gym there's mate, a dozen people and bigger gyms would be four dozen. Like there's – yeah. It's it's probably saved me at some stage. Like when I when I lost yeah. Justin, I trained the house down. It's probably yeah. the fittest I've ever been because it was just an outlet, and it wasn't it about is. being an athlete. It was just you know, like exactly what you said, just moving. Because movement is mindful. And I think that's the thing. I think the fitness industry is so like goal focused, if that makes sense. Which is good. Like you have to have a goal, and like I have. I have my like overarching goals and things that I'm working towards, like tangible things that I'm working towards. But then I have my like day-to-day session-to-session goals, which are like completely within my own control and are actionable. There is no outcome. They're not outcome-based at all. And But I know that if I'm ticking those outcome-based goals off, or no, if I'm, if I'm just doing these things on a daily basis, these simple habits, these small habits, they build towards the outcome-based goals. But for 99.9% of the population, right, like, Training because you're trying to try and be like the 1% is going to cause frustration for more people than it's not, if that makes sense. Like the one percenters are the one percenters for a reason. If everyone could be a one percenter, it wouldn't be the one percent, right? And I think that the fitness industry capitalizes so aggressively on striving for unrealistic goals, be them aesthetic or performance-based, Mm. that but that and that's what they've commodified they've, they've commodified it so well and they sell it so well they make it seem like that's achievable but i think that that causes more well don't for not not for everyone but for certain types of people and ultimately they're the types of people i'm trying to help here yeah 
for certain types of people, people that are more neurotically inclined, which is a good portion of the population. What there's five, the five, the big five personality traits. Neuroticism is one of them. So if you've got something, you know, it's a fifth of the population, fuckload of people. Yeah. You you try to sell them these unrealistic goals and aspirations and convince them that that's doable when they aren't reaching that. Which, as I said, ninety nine percent of people won't because they're trying to strive for the one percent. The one percent is the one percent for that purpose the amount of self-inflicted kind of like disappointment and frustration, mm. you know, like is, is, is massive. Like it's, it's huge. And giving people, like helping people see that there is purpose and meaning over and above success from doing something, like that's a huge, huge thing. Yeah, it's a huge that's re-education what the fitness we need. industry needs, isn't it? The fitness yeah. industry needs, needs a voice and perhaps that's going to be you to, to champion that training doesn't have to be for exteriors you know like we don't have to train for the arms and the abs and the butts you know we're training but it's i mean it's good to have those goals as well i don't think that's not to shit on everyone it's like hey everyone Mm. just like give up on your hopes and dreams it's to say like have hopes and dreams but find value and meaning in the process rather than as only attaching it to the outcome yeah it's um someone gave me many many moons ago the Everest analogy, like getting to the top of Everest is amazing, but you can't see shit up there because you're in the clouds. You've got to enjoy mm. the enjoy the the view and the scenery on the way up. And it go and I yeah. use it in the fitness industry all the time. Like, yeah, getting the six pack. If I had one, I'd I'd tell you it's probably pretty good. Um, mm. But you know, enjoy the process of getting there. Yeah, uh, mate. No, it's good. I think um, to kind of sum things up. Bloody hell, <laughs> there's some nuggets in there. Empathy, leadership, and empowerment, I think you spoke beautifully into. And uh, I started something yesterday on yesterday's episode that I've stolen off Mark Burris. Uh, yeah. At the end of every episode, he gives the incredible guests an opportunity to fire a question back at me because I've been hitting you with all the questions. Yeah. What's, uh, what's one question you've got, you know, mental health-related, work-related, life-related? I one, where do, what, just having hopped on about like not having goals, this is completely <laughs> fucking hypocritical of me to ask. Like what do you see as the, what would you see as like, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this so it's yep. not too heavily outcome based. Uh, what do you see, like I guess, what would be your ultimate dream for Human Connection Project? In, ter- in sort of like, give me like two year time. In two years time, two years. Where time. do you see human connection? In two years time, ideally. In two years time, we. You're frozen, or you're just thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Both, you know. In two years, like time. your screen just stopped immediately after that. I was like, oh, I'm <laughs> oh, just you've got me off guard. Now, in two years time, look, we at least the eastern seaboard we want to be the biggest support pre-active proactive platform for mental health we've got probably the most incredible you know reactive in lifeline uh, black dog beyond blue like they're all fantastic yeah, hey, yeah. okay they're all really reactive we want to become the biggest proactive kind of like phone book essentially of services and resources and information that people can like someone down in sydney might be like oh man i just I need to go speak to someone who understands me. I'm in the fitness industry. We're like, bang, we know someone. Go see Khan from Sweat Therapy. Or like we've got just resources and education and courses that just we don't want to see those numbers rising. We want to see people before they get to that part where 
the chemistry is flicking in their brain or they've flipped the lid or they are in a really dark place. We want to get them well before that part happens yeah. and just educate them on how to deal with it. educate people on how to have conversations with somebody who is struggling like we've just talked heavily into that empowerment. So, yeah, 10 years' time is national, but two years' time we at least want to have the eastern side of Australia covered in terms of right. proactive. Awesome, dude. That's great. Yeah, it's exciting. But uh, yeah, bro. people like you in the space, mate, I think we're going to get there where we're going to lead the, the, I guess, the movement across the globe from little down under country. Oh, mate, that'd be awesome. That's great. Mate, I want to thank you very much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. And I know no for dramas, man. there's heaps of bombs in there for people to take away. Um, oh, hopefully, hopefully something of value, not just too much waffling. Yeah, no, plenty. <laughs> But um, I'll pop the links. I'll sound like a real podcaster here. I'll pop the links for everything in the show notes. So everything nice. Very podcasty of you. Yeah, yeah. Everyone can follow up on Sweat Therapy on you and uh, on everything. Yeah, nice. Easy, buddy. Thank you. Thanks, brother. It's been sensational. You have a good day. You too, mate. Catch up. Hey, guys, and thanks for listening to another episode of the Human Connection Project podcast. I know and we know times are very... Difficult and, dare I say it, unprecedented right now. So I would urge you now more than ever to lean into your friends, lean into your community and make sure we're connecting to each other because we will make it out of this but we need to be standing metaphorically hand in hand right now. If this has stirred any emotions to you, please make sure you reach out to a loved one or Lifeline on 13 11 14. And remember... How good's living.